It's that time of year, folks. Playoff football has come back to the FCS, and there's only one place where you can find all the information you would ever need about the FCS playoffs, and that's here on the FCS Opening Drive Podcast, the Playoff Preview. This is one of the big ones, folks. David Hassigan here with the Czar of the Playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, you ready for this? You amped up this morning, man. Of course I'm ready. It's, it's football season, and it's playoff season. The games actually, you know, legitimately matter when I go home. it's They talk about Game 7 in baseball, Game 7 in basketball, or any other sports, hockey, what have you. But football, it's literally always been one and done when it's when it's time for playoffs. You got to win or go home. We've got a lot to talk about, folks. We got a 24-team playoff field to talk about. 13 new teams that did not make the playoffs last year made it this year. You gotta love the parody of the FCS. Of course, we'll talk about some of the big games that happened in Week 13. We'll send out some last regular season game balls, as well as talk about some coaching changes that are already happening. We had four in the last 24 hours. Uh, we'll talk about the playoff field, of course. We'll go into some maybe some potential bowl games, some snubs. There really wasn't too many snubs, but we'll get into that. Um, teams that maybe missed this year that maybe next year they'll be in. And, of course, we'll take a look at the first round games and break it all down. And our last, last top 25s of the year folks if you want to listen back on any of the previous podcasts you get from football game plan you can go to itunes or soundcloud and listen to them there you can go back all the way to our big sky preview which was what in july august it's so long ago but you can see maybe how right or wrong we were by looking back they don't have to check all that they don't have to check all that (laughs) someone someone knows that they have the receipts Uh, (laughs) right uh you can check those out on soundcloud and itunes don't forget to subscribe while you're there so you don't miss any content from football game plan and don't forget to go to youtube.com slash football game plan for the fcs kickoff show where we will go in depth on all these games we're going to do a quick preview of the first round games on the podcast today we got a lot to talk about before that we're going to go in depth including predictions during the fcs kickoff video so if you want to check out the full predictions and you know maybe get some advice if you're willing to put a little money on the line oh yeah we did well yeah. with those fcs best bets yeah. last week and yale kind of burned me a little bit uh they won <laughs> by six i believe speaking of burning uh the the, the, the planet might be too according <laughs> to the yale and harvard fans that was i think that's got to be the craziest moment of the weekend uh full-blown on-field protest between yale and harvard and whether or not you agree with the politics of the whole thing you got to admit, they chose the right stage to do it. I Big blame game. security, man. How you not see, how many people was it? At least a couple hundred. How you not see that coming? With giant banners. Exactly. How do you how do you not see that about to happen? So, <laughs> Get on your game, Ivy League security. That's all we have to say. Um, by the way, that game was a tremendous ending, too. We'll throw that in there. 50-43 to 43 to Yale in double overtime. But Dartmouth is the Ivy League champion because they have the uh, win over Yale during the regular season. But let's get into the games that mattered for the playoffs. We went into this week. You had, I believe it was six auto bids were punched. Seventh one happened on Thursday. So let's talk about that one first. And that was Southeastern Louisiana taking on Nichols. Huge game in the state of Louisiana. Um, really a good ball game and really a, a, a game of not even two halves, a game of four quarters. Southeastern Louisiana came out in full force they've done this all year they've been tremendous in the first quarter second quarter Nichols got back into it got it tied before the half and then it was just chaos in the fourth quarter where I swear Southeast Louisiana got maybe five or six timeouts I don't <laughs> I think I think something was broken in the it wasn't Hammond. but Nichols prevails 28 
27, the number 23 team over the number 21 team, and Nichols, with that win, secured the automatic bid from the Southland Conference. And this is a game that I think is a true testament to eye test mattering mm-hmm. because had Nichols or Southeast Louisiana completely blown out one another, yep. neither one, the, the losing team wouldn't have gotten in. Uh, yep. Because these teams played so, played so competitively, it made you think, like, you know what, these are two playoff quality teams. Um, so I'm glad the committee got both of these teams in. Obviously, Nichols with the auto bid. Shout out to Coach Rebo and what he's been able to do with that program. And you like what Coach Selfo has done at Southeast Louisiana. Uh, they play multiple quarterbacks, but yep. they, they keep you off balance. They're very good on offense. Defensively, they're really strong as well. So both of these teams, I think, can go into the playoffs and even win a game. And that left three automatic bids up for grabs going into Saturday. Let's touch on all three of those. Prior to that, just shout out to uh, Stephen F. Austin knocking yes. out New, uh, Northwestern State for the Chief Cattle Trophy. I've seen that trophy because I've been on uh, Northwestern State's campus this past uh, last January. Yep. Uh, visiting the campus, doing some coaching interviews. It's legitimately a seven for six trophy, <laughs> and uh, it's one of the best trophies in. The country and you know northwestern state has won four or five of the last seven matchups yeah uh, the last three straight i believe so chief cattle will be making the way back to nacogdoches louisiana uh, texas uh to go sit on the campus of stephen f austin the only thing i i, I have against that trophy it's an amazing trophy but you can't lift it that's the that's it's a the team issue. effort <laughs> it's a it's team, a team effort, effort to, lift. to lift that doggone trophy it's like legitimately have is huge, it's massive. It's seven foot six, so it's massive. So that also happened on Thursday. Now let's move into Saturday, and we're gonna we're three bids up for grabs: Big Sky, OVC, and the <laughs> the Patriot League. So let's start with the Patriot League. Holy Cross. Three weeks ago, they were in the driver's seat. Then they lost a game. Then they were it was out of their control. Going to the final week, they had control again. They took on Georgetown. All they had to do was get a win. And they ended up winning in an impressive style. 24-0. Holy Cross uh, goes back to the playoffs for the first time in a long, long time. Georgetown denied that 500 season again. Uh, But really impressive from Holy Cross. Coach Chesney, since coming over from Assumption, has done a great job with this program. He's the FCS version of P.J. Fleck. And we talk about (laughs) a guy that is all energy, all authentic energy all the time. I'm a big Coach Chesney fan. He is an outstanding coach, and they got great play from their defense. Jacob Dobbs had an interception return. They shut out Georgetown. And Dominic Cozier, the running back, he's a jitterbug. Uh, He had two touchdowns. So they got great play from their defense and their premier player on offense. So shout out to Holy Cross getting the win and getting a, a team in the playoffs from the Patriot League with a winning record, too. That that See, that's what I was hoping for is that we wouldn't have that annoying mark of like a four and eight or four and seven team getting in as an automatic qualifier uh the next bit we're going to talk about is the ovc we've talked a lot about austin p over the last couple years a a team that literally the program was collapsing around them quite literally the field opening up a sinkhole this team was a laughing stock this team was a joke hadn't been relevant really since the 70s will healy came in four years ago now and took this program from nothing into something and this year, they finally get their due under Mark Hutzpeth in his first season. Austin P had had control. They were probably going to make the playoffs anyway. But as the number 20 team, they knocked off Eastern Illinois 35-7. They are the OVC champs. They earned the automatic bid. And they're going to their first ever FCS playoffs. That's a huge win for that program. And I like how they went out there and made a statement. They didn't leave it up to the committee to decide, 
if this team was worthy enough to get in. Mm -hmm. They've played that game before. They've danced that dance before two years ago, and they didn't get in. This year, they took care of business, got in, won 35-7 in dominating fashion, and Javon Craig, just a phenomenal player for Austin P. A huge And a huge win for that program, as you said. They're one of two debutantes to make the FCS players for the first time this year. As I said, 13 new teams that didn't make the playoffs last year that got in this year. We'll break that down in a little bit. That left the craziness in the big sky, and this has been going on all year. All four teams of Montana, Montana State, Sacramento State, and Weaver could have earned this automatic bid. It's been that insane this season. Montana State run roughshod over Montana. I mean, this we expected this one to be interesting because Montana's been really good this year. They've showed a lot of promise. They've been really impressive. And Montana State at home absolutely smoked the Grizzlies. Uh, just dominance from the Bobcats at home. Their fourth win in a row in their in, against their in-state rival in the Brawl of the Wild. No one wants a physical discussion on a Saturday afternoon. And when you talk about Montana State and how they go about their business, it's all run game and defense. And if you're not built for that type of fight, mm-hmm. you're going to lose. And we saw Montana get out of the blocks early and often just slowly choke out the Grizzlies. So shout out to the Bobcats for playing a physical brand of football. If you're able to play this way, that style is able to travel no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. You're going to always have a chance if you're playing great run defense, if you can run the ball, and your defense does a great job on third downs. This is a dangerous team heading into the playoffs, not because they blew out their rival in a, a great matchup that a lot of people, to be honest, nationally was talking about. Yeah, You heard Snoop give shout-out to Montana because <laughs> he has a, a nephew that plays for the Grizzlies. You heard uh, in the press box where we were, uh, broadcasting the uh, Monmouth game. You heard people talking about the Brawl of the Wild there. Mm-hmm. So this game, everyone was focused on this this matchup because of the rivalry, and Montana State showed up and showed out. And that what that left is Weber State in the driver's seat going forward in this. Obviously, they lost to Sacramento State, so they Weber State had to win their game because Sacramento came from behind and beat UC Davis 27-17. Huge win for the Hornets program. We'll talk about them in a little bit when we talk about the playoff field. But that put the ball in Weber State's court because they had the loss to Montana. If Montana had won that game, the Grizzlies would have gotten that automatic bid, but Weber State then had control and they took care of business with a huge second quarter against Idaho State, 38-10. Constantine, again, is showing that he is a much a very underrated quarterback, not only in this conference, but nationally. Yeah, they took care of business. Again, when you're supposed to beat these certain teams, yep. we've seen it on the last weekend where teams go in thinking they're just going to sleepwalk through an opponent. Uh, you think your opponent is going to shut it down because, you know, you have a better record than them, and they show up. And But so when you're Weber State, you're, it's all about seeding now. You go out there and you dominate. Yep. And we got – well, I'll talk about one or two more game, one more game here before we move on to the game balls. And that was – it really came down to the bubble teams. And when I had about four or five spots that were – very much up for grabs. That's what the committee had as well. I think they had. I think they said they had 11 or 12 teams for the last five spots. North Dakota was that one team that we were thinking about saying, did they do enough as an independent with three top 25 wins to get it done? They didn't win overly impressively against Northern Colorado two weeks ago. So this week they had to beat Southern Utah, and they did so 36-18. And that was enough for the Fighting Hawks to be the last team in, according to the committee, in the playoff field for 2019. Which is interesting because when you look at 
you know, North Dakota in their schedule, their losses are to the only bad loss is to me Idaho State. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to lose to North Dakota State. Obviously, you want to win, but you, you're going to lose. At the time to play Eastern Washington, they were a very good team. Um, and they lose to Weaver by three. Right. So, yeah, they've won some good games. They they lost some some tough ones. But I don't see how this was that much of a bubble. I know, you know, right. between uh, you and Craig Haley's top five, you had North Dakota, you had UC Davis, and <laughs> I forgot what other team you guys were on all season long. But <laughs> finally you got North Dakota in uh, because of you and Craig Haley's help and push. Y'all got them into the playoffs. But I don't see this as a, as a shock. Yeah. I don't. I, I thought they were like you saw when I tweeted out before the selection show my predictions. Yeah, all my predictions got in, including North Dakota. I thought they just the the record just spoke for itself. They had the seven D one wins. Right. Um. You know they they beat the three top twenty five teams that you talked about, and it's been you know it's been excellent. I, I think it was just a question always though of independent team. Do you put them in because they're an independent? You know, independent with but with the record it proved it and. They are the first team, and we talked about this about a month ago uh, when I asked Craig Haley about this, or two months ago, first independent team since 2003 to make the FCS playoffs. That was was Florida Atlantic. Oh, yeah, that's right. He just started a program. Um, You know what's interesting? I'm glad we're talking about an independent because it kills that whole BS narrative of they don't play in a tough conference. This conference is tougher. If you win who is lined up across from you on the schedule – you deserve credit. And do it well enough. And there's a couple other teams that made the field that we will talk about uh, that did something very similar. Let's get into some game balls, some really impressive performances in the last week of the regular season. I'm going to start with Dominique Daphne, the running back from Indiana State. 20 carries, 244 yards, and four touchdowns. It's been a rough year for the Sycamores. A lot of injuries, a lot expected of them early in the season. Didn't really come to pass, but a good game at the end of the season for Dominic Daphne. Yeah, that was one of my preseason uh, playoff picks. I thought Indiana State would get to the playoffs. I didn't work out for them, but I'm going to stay in the backfield as well. Pete Guerrero, I was on that broadcast and uh, <laughs> saw him go 16 carries for 240 yards, averaging 15 yards a carry. That was just ridiculous, you know. <laughs> so they had an offensive explosion against Hampton. Pete Guerrero is the best back in the FCS, period. That's a heck of a claim. He also had two receptions for 66 yards and another score. Uh, so a good Wait, game so for you him. Wait, you, so you're saying that's a, that's a claim? I'm, I'm, I'm saying I, I'm, I'm – Who's the leading rusher in the FCS? I know he's the leading rusher in the FCS. I'm just saying there are going to be some naysayers that say because he's playing Big South defenses – He's not as good as the numbers say. All right, so let's see. I'm, ju- I'm just the first, I'm, the I'm first, throwing it out there. The first power FCS conference uh, back is seventh on the list, and that's James Robinson with 1,300. Pete Guerrero has 1,668. I'm just saying what the critics would say. That's all I'm going to say here. I think that they, he is one of the top backs, definitely minimum top three. If you're going to be putting that in for an award, if there is a, there should be a running back award because nobody, no running back went to Walter Payton. You so know what? There should what? be a, should be a national running back award. Dude, that is true. Like that's weird how no running back. It's, it used to be. It's just like the Heisman it used to be, but just saying. <laughs> uh, let's we might keep have to going. get on those awards, man. We got to get. We got to find a local local trophy store. Yeah, something like that. Let's get back to the game balls, though. I'm going to go to um, the wide receiver from Villanova, Changa Hodge, eight receptions. 236 and four touchdowns. Huge win for the Wildcats. Got them into the playoffs, 
but not maybe where they were expected to go in the playoffs. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm going to go back on the offense. I got one more offensive game ball, and that's Kurt Rawlings, a QB from Yale. This young man threw, he went 33 of 53 for 417 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. But he also was a leading rusher with 15 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown, leading that comeback win. Senior quarterback going out with a bang. I've always been impressed with him. The first time I saw him play was his freshman season against Columbia. I was impressed with how well he handled that situation being thrown in into the game. And, you know, he's gotten better every year. So I'm impressed with how he finished his career at Yale and excited to see what the future holds for him. Perhaps the next Ivy Leaguer to make make it into the pros. Quietly, they've become a pro conference. They 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 quietly have to all the naysayers out there because they don't make, go into the playoffs. Um, I'm going to go to my defensive game ball, and I'm going to give it to the defense of North Carolina A and T. Not only did they crush their rival NC Central 54 to nothing, they held Central to 21 total offensive yards. 21. They tripled that in special teams. Special teams should not be your leaning yardage mark for any team. This was pure dominance by A&T. They knew they were pretty much going to the Celebration Bowl already. All they had to do was win this game. It was an easy task. A&T Aggies going back to the Celebration Bowl. Boy, they legitimately <laughs> beat the brakes off their rival. That's how you do it. That, you know, that's, that's, that's embarrassing. That's how you do it. That's embarrassing. Defensive game ball only got one this week, and it's a good one. It's Devin James, linebacker from Bethune-Cookman. He had a fumble recovery and an interception. Now, he had the game-winning interception, but this is how you know the football guys were on their side because the play before the game-winning interception, he dropped the game-winning interception. So it was fourth down. It was like, okay, now, fam, you, Ryan Stanley, this is your moment it was fourth and about seven. So get the first down and keep this, this season alive. He goes right back over the middle of the field, and Jones, James, I'm sorry, steps right back into the, that passing lane. He catches it this time and closes out the, the victory. Uh, fam, you. Oh, fam. Ninth Street, I believe, against Bethune Cookman. Something like that. I, I mean, here's the thing if they had, were eligible for the postseason, they would have already punched their they ticket. They already punched their ticket right. to the Celebration Bowl before that game, but still. Um, I found a kicker that I'm going to give it to you, and anyone who has the first name of Storm is going to be clutch. Storm Ruiz, the kicker for Stephen F. Austin, 3-for-3 on field goal in their game, but he hit from 41, 44, and 54. That is an impressive day. That's an impressive leg, and without a miss... 54, goodness. (laughs) Stephen F. Austin, I mean, they won by 12 points, so maybe they didn't need those field goals, but you know what? When you have a guy named Storm Ruiz, you let him take the field and do what he does. (laughs) <laughs> I have a special teamer, and it's a kicker as well. Nick Basiglia of Robert Morris. Yeah. Three for three on field goals. Two in the fourth quarter. All his field goals were in the second half. Needed all those points to win against Sacred Heart, 16 to 14, which tells you Robert Morris, 75 on the year. Phenomenal season for Bernard Clark and his Colonials. Got to be a, a finalist for Coach of the Year Got candidate. To. Has to. to be. Let's get into our final top 25s of the season. This is going to be the last time um, the penultimate poll. Uh, There will be the postseason top 25, which will be happening once the playoffs are all set and done. But this is the final top 25 poll of the regular season, which I might add the national FCS stats poll when it came out. It actually came out before the committee revealed the field. If you remove any team that wasn't eligible or conference didn't participate in the postseason, the top 24 teams in that poll were the top were the 24 teams that made 
the field. It seems like it's a little bit more accurate than the coaches poll. It's interesting. Maybe the committee should look into using the FCS stats poll instead of the other one. I am a member of the American Football Coaches Association, so you would never hear me badmouth the coaches <laughs> poll. So I am a card-carrying member of the AFCA. Fine, fine, fine. Well, again, the Town 25, there will be there was a shuffle in this because there were some big losses this week. So let's get into our top fives. Top five for me, just a shuffle, really not too much changed. North Dakota State at one, JMU at number two, Weber at three, Montana State jumps up to number four, Sacramento State holds at number five. Why do you hate Montana State, Dave? Mine is North Dakota State, JMU, Montana State at three, Weber at four, Sac State is at five. It's a big sky country in, in the top five in, in a <laughs> in my top 25. So because I put them one spot below where Why you Why do you hate them? the Bobcats? Unbelievable. Well, this is what I have to deal with. At Craig Haley. This is, what, <laughs> this is what I have to do. Remember, folks, Craig Haley hates all of your teams and even loves them, too. You just don't know which one. Let's move on to the next group, 6 through 10. Montana jumps drops down to number 6. UNI at number 7. SEMO at number 8 for me. Wofford at 9. South Dakota State drops down to number 10. They lost this week. Listen, 6 through 10 for me. Villanova at 6. Quietly 8 wins. True. Northern Iowa at 7, South Dakota State at 8, Montana at number 9, and Monmouth at 10. Monmouth finishes at number 10. Interesting. Offense. 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 Look at what happened when they beat Kennesaw State in the fashion that they beat Kennesaw State. True. They went out there the rest of the way. That I thought that gave them the confidence that they, hey, you know what? We are really good. And they blew everyone out the rest of the way. Let's move into 11 through fi- to 15. Villanova I have as number 11. Very strong season. Central Arkansas, I had them at number 12. I'm not completely sold on them, even though they did get a seed in the playoff field. Furman gets in at number 13. I think they're better than the record shows. Austin P, number 14. Central Connecticut State finishes at 15 for me. Why do you hate Central Connecticut State? Oh, for goodness sakes. Here we go. Where do you have them? I'm surprised you didn't have them at number two. The, you know what? I could make a case for it. <laughs> 11, I have Wofford. 12, Central Connecticut State. 13, Austin P. I I kind of agree with you about Central Arkansas, although the wins just keep stacking. Yeah. They're like Villanova to me, so I think they're a very good team. I wouldn't want to play Central Arkansas. They're at 14, and at 15, I have SEMO. 16, I've got Illinois State. Big drop from them after their loss this week. Number 17, Nichols. Towson at 18. A&T at 19. Southeast Louisiana finishes at number 20. 16, I have Kennesaw State. 17, Furman. 18, Nichols. 11, Illinois State. 11? You mean 19? 19th, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, 20, A&T. A&T in there, okay. My last five, Monmouth at number 21. Impressive season. 21. Hey, some people still don't have them ranked. Wow. I'm just saying. Uh, Dartmouth at 22. Ivy League champions. Well done. 9-1 season. Kennesaw at number 23. North Dakota finishes at 24. And I'm still going to give FAMU the credit for their season this year. They are in at number 25. I love FAMU. I love everything about FAMU. They're you know great people down there. They travel well to every game. Yep. You know, great color scheme. The uniforms are phenomenal. Really good quarterback and Ryan Stanley. There's a lot to like about FAMU. Number 21, Albany. 22, South Carolina State. Okay. 23, I went Yale instead of Dartmouth. Okay, I can see that. 24, credit to Alcorn State. Yep. And 25, Pioneer League champs, San Diego. San Diego quietly is going in on another hot streak 
and we know what they do in the postseason. They win games. <laughs> they win first-round games. Let me just say, with, before we get into the matchups, there were a lot of very unhappy Northern Iowa fans <laughs> after the selection <laughs> was made. I, I saw a lot of uh, four-letter words and eight-letter words, and uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't very good. Um, before we get into the playoff field, unfortunately, this is the inevitability of every football season where you have teams that have success there are also the other side of the spectrum where teams have you know not lived up to expectations and changes have to be made and within 24 hours we've had at this the time of recording this four uh changes for uh the fcs coaches at head coach positions let's go right through them a couple of them don't really make sense to me and the first one is one of those and that's gardner webb um carol mccray let go after their season this year which was much better from the gardner webb bulldogs um still finished three and nine seven seasons they're gonna let go of coach mccray but it looked like he was getting things in the right direction yeah they were going in the right direction man it's just and he's a great guy you hate when the 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 great guys that you become you know attached to kind of you know uh get let go so yeah finished though overall um 27 and 49 uh, in his time with Gardner Webb, only won ten conference games as well. The next one is a real shocker to me, and that is at Mercer. Um, they have parted ways with Coach Bobby Lamb after seven seasons. You've interviewed Coach Lamb uh, in the past. Amazing guy to start off with, but a great football coach as well. And again, this is a Mercer team that was always right there, right around the five hundred mark, just couldn't get over the hump. They finished four and eight this year, and apparently that was enough. Yeah, this one kind of hurt because I'm, you know, Coach Lamb is a is a is a great guy, you know, and I loved my time down there talking with Coach Lamb and that program, and you know, being being from you know, from the South and seeing how he was able to to, to restore the roar in football wise at Mercer, which was a, is a is an upstart program. Yeah, you know, he's recruited well, he's developed well. Uh, Mercer has been competitive. Yeah, um, and you know is this it's never about moving on from the coach you know it's it a lot of times you just get it's just bad luck you know sometimes so you know coach lamb is a really good coach and you know wherever he lands he's gonna he's gonna do great things he's a he's a phenomenal coach and recruiter and developer he was a team that he was the coach of Furman yeah uh, in the early 2000s where they were an absolute powerhouse um and he's a tremendous quarterback in his day too yeah he, he's got a he's got all the skills all over the place so uh, good luck to Coach Lamb. The next one is at Murray State. Uh, Mitch Stewart fired after five seasons in charge of the Racers. This was his first uh, college head coaching job. Did okay over his time period there. Murray State had a decent season last year, finished 5-6. and six. Didn't really get it going this year in a, in a competitive OVC, and so they decided to make a change. Which is weird because you talk about developer. He's had a draft pick um, this past draft. Yeah. From Murray State, two dudes are already on NFL rosters. Well, one in uh, Wade, Demontre Wade, the corner, he's on the NFL roster right now, and the quarterback Drew Anderson is playing in the CFL or XFL, I believe. So he's been able to develop talent to the pro level. So I was shocked by this, even though it's been five years. That's a whole recruiting class that has gone through under his watch. But again, I'm just never. A big fan of the, the coaching firings, you know. Yeah, exactly. It, it's always tough. You never because it's never see. just it's never just the head coach. You got to worry about all the assistants, their families, and in yep. some cases, when a new coach comes in, they want to make changes to the ancillary staff. You're talking about 
maybe equipment managers. He's talking about maybe receptionists. And so it's a lot of, uh, it's a ripple effect of firings yeah. and changes when a head coach gets the you know gets the boot. And the last one we uh, we have confirmed here is at Northern Colorado, um, Ernest Collins uh, fired after nine seasons. Um, couldn't really get this program off the ground. Had a couple good years uh, in 2015 and 2016 where they were just above 500. Um, but it's a very tough place to recruit, very tough place to get players to go uh, at Northern Colorado in a very competitive conference with a lot bigger teams. And uh, they've decided to make a change here. But it wasn't for the lack of trying for Ernest Collins. Yeah, it wasn't. And, you know, it's a tough place out there to, to, to you know, to build a consistent winner. Um and they, I remember, what, three or four years ago, they were great on special teams. They were on the cusp, looking like they were turning the corner. They had a winning season, I believe, a couple of years ago, too. Yeah. So, you know, I thought it's just, again, it's always tough, man, because you feel like guys are right there about to turn the corner yeah. with their programs. Yeah, definitely a tough year at Northern Colorado. So we wish all four of these men luck. Um, hopefully they, we will see them on a new sideline very, very soon uh, in some capacity. And from what we've seen, too, with how these coaching situations shake out, this probably will not be the end of it. So, unfortunately, there may be some more of uh, these coaching changes that we will have to talk about in the near future. Of course, the Howard situation remains up in the air as well. So, that's another one uh, where you know there's a lot of questions still abounding there. But let's get back into happier feelings. And let's talk about the playoff field. Because that was revealed on yesterday. And there was a big shakeup to start things off in terms of the seeding. The top, top three or four we basically knew. And then once we saw some of the results that happened yesterday, we kind of got a good idea of where these teams going to shake out. South Dakota State lost their game to South Dakota, which wasn't supposed to happen. You had Illinois State getting dropped by Youngstown pretty badly uh, in their game, um, which obviously the Montana State-Montana game, that was a big blow. But the top eight seeds, really not too many arguments. And I think you just in general, before we get into this, well done to the committee. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm hearing myself say that over this microphone, but the, this was a very tough job this year. But you know what? By the end of the day, pretty much a, a layup for them. And they did a good job of getting this figured out. The top eight seeds go as follows. No surprise, North Dakota State at the number one seed, their 10th appearance in the playoffs. Number two seed is JMU, their 16th appearance. Number three is going into this is Weber, the automatic qualifier from the Big Sky Conference. Sacramento State, the number four seed, their first ever FCS playoff appearance. So congratulations to them. Montana State finished at number five. Montana back in the big dance for the first time since 2015. They got the sixth seed. South Dakota State survives. They got a seed despite the loss to South Dakota at number seven. And Central Arkansas claimed the number eight seed, um, their fifth playoff appearance after missing the playoffs last year. I have an issue with the seeds. Okay. You look at eight, six, and uh, seven. Eight is debatable with, with Central Arkansas. Who would you have there? Potentially Monmouth. I thought Monmouth deserved a seed. I think I think Monmouth was definitely close, especially with ten wins. Ten wins, winning streak, impressive winning streak. Yep. Especially considering what happened on Saturday. Montana yep. blown out. South Dakota State loses to South Dakota, which never happened when they moved up to D1. Yeah. And I thought it was debatable between them and Central Arkansas. Monmouth, I thought, deserved one of those seeds because of how badly some of those teams lost. That's yeah, the only issue. Yeah, Everything else was you know, pretty much standard. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think maybe, you, know, you could have considered potentially Wofford 
maybe getting a seed. I think there was a lot of talk about them as well. Um, but other than that, maybe Northern Iowa was another team that could potentially could have gotten one. Uh, but really, I, I, like you said, the committee, I think, got it right uh, in terms of the seeding here. Home games. Oh, we, didn't, we didn't talk about that yet, right? We haven't gotten into any of the playoff matchups yet. Okay, because I thought Central Connecticut State deserved a home game. I, I, I'm right there with you, but let's get into the rest of the playoff field. Before we talk about the matchups, let's just go through the field here. Mm-hmm. Um, all four of the Big Sky teams that got in, all of them seeded. Four out of four. Monmouth, automatic bids, champions of the Big South. Missed the playoffs last year. It's just their second playoff appearance. As we said, coming in on a very hot streak, but as you predicted correctly, the Big South is a two-bid league. Kennesaw gets in as one of the bubble teams. They were one of the last four teams in their third playoff appearance, so they get in representing the Big South. Yeah, and you talk about the conference itself. Those are the two heavyweights. Yeah. Light heavyweight is Campbell. And a getting team there. Getting there, right. So they're, they're in the mix. And, um, you know, Gardner-Webb is making strides. We saw North Alabama go out and win some games. We, we saw how talented Hampton is with all those FBS transfers. Yeah. Um, so, and quietly, shout out to Charleston Southern. Quietly. They came on strong toward the back end. So, this is not a – and we've seen Charleston Southern get into the playoffs. We've seen this team, this conference, be a two-bid team uh, league before. Yeah. So, I don't know why people are surprised. This is not a bad football conference. Well, apparently, they're very, very weak, according to some. Uh, moving into the CAA, we mentioned JMU, they're in the number two seed. Joining them, only three teams out of the CAA. And we, we thought this might happen with how the CAA has been this year, everybody beating up on everybody else. We saw it in the Valley last year. Only three teams make it in. Villanova, their 13th playoff, uh, 13th playoff appearance. Their first since 2006, though. Uh, so it's been a little bit of time for them. But nothing compared to the University of Albany. The Great Danes make their just, just their second playoff appearance. First time since 2011 for Albany, but they have earned it. Some great quarterback play from a freshman in undercuffler. Eight-win season for Albany, quietly very, very good. You have a series of five and seven teams in the CAA. Uh, in addition to Towson at seven and five and New Hampshire that was on the cusp at six and five and in Rhode Island finishing two and ten. So it just hasn't been that good of a year. Uh, they started out strong. Yeah. Like, I, I would have thought Stony Brook would have been a shoe-in. Stony Brook, early Towson, in the season. we thought right. might be in. Exactly. Uh, Maine started out strong. Um, Delaware was a was – Delaware a, was ranked. Yep. Richmond started to, to come on in the middle part of the season, and then they all went on these losing streaks. Yeah. And so that kind of, like, flushed the, the CAA opportunity down the toilet. Let's move into the Missouri Valley. No teams from the MIAC. We'll talk about that, though, in just a second because maybe there should have been one. We mentioned North Dakota State and South Dakota State. They are both seeded. Northern Iowa gets in for the 21st time. They're one of the constants in the FCS playoffs. And making it for the first time since 2016, Illinois State getting in after, um, you know, a pretty decent season this year. They obviously have a couple of pro prospects on that offense. Their eighth playoff appearance for the Redbirds. Only one that was that was questionable was Southern Illinois, uh, and you kind of knew that they were on the bubble, and it was just yep. weakened by them not being able to beat. I mean, granted, this is a tough. Hey, man, you should have beat North Dakota State, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> like, but come on, right? So, uh, but it, I thought this was pretty standard. All those teams are well deserving to get into the playoffs. Only one team makes it in from the NEC. We kind of expected that going in anyway, but Central Connecticut State makes just their second appearance. They. Uh, won their first ever bid two years ago in 2017. Missed the playoffs last year. They are in. They're 11 and one. They could, and if they only had, 
avoided a blocked punt would be the only other team at undefeated with North Dakota State. Then you would probably have them 20th instead of 21st, right? No, oh, come on. That, that's sure. just, that's ridiculous. You had them at 15. Just They are at 15. Checking. Shout out to <sighs> Sacred Heart, though, and, and Robert Morris. You know, they they played really well uh, this season. Um, Quietly, St. Francis had a decent year. They turned year. it around late. So this was, this was one early on in the year you thought, okay, maybe you can get two in. Like, the, Duquesne yeah. was playing real tough. And and then we saw Robert Morris just beat the brakes off them and just kind of like, you know, just kind of like move on and just kind of made it a one-team league. So Shout out to Robert Morris. Shout out to the Colonials. Moving out on. there in uh, Moon Township, Pennsylvania. Moon Town- Imagine a playoff game in Moon Township, Pennsylvania. That will be That'll be the day. <laughs> we move on to the OVC. Now we get to the question mark. It was the question mark between OVC, SoCon, and Southland. We figured each conference would at least get two. Right. Who would be the conference that got the third? It's not going to be the OVC. Austin P, as we mentioned, automatic bid, first playoff appearance in the FCS, their first OVC share of a title since 1977. That's how long it's been for Austin P, but a great fan base there as well. And Southeast Missouri State, SEMO, in as well. Their third playoff appearance, uh, they were in the field last year. Yeah, SEMO and Austin P, great color scheme, by the way, for both teams. I wear an extra large if you guys want to send some (laughs) swag. Or if you want to help, uh, you know, decorate the studio, send a mini helmet. We would appreciate that. For everyone on, the, on that listens to the podcast, your team, represent, send us a mini helmet. We'll put it up in the studio on our FCS wall. But you're right. We thought this could be one of those conferences that could get three in. And had UT Martin pulled off the upset against Kentucky, <laughs> I guarantee they would have gotten in and pushed out uh, North Dakota. Probably. Probably. Shut up to Because that would have gave them though. eight wins. Yeah. Shout out to UT Martin, though. Solid season for them. And Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky had a good year. Tennessee Tech had six wins. They were exciting to watch. Jacksonville State. Um, Collapsed this year. Collapsed, but they were six. still exciting to watch from start to finish. So, interesting there. We move now into the Patriot League. Oh, the Patriot League. But, as we mentioned, a deser- the deserving team gets in as the automatic bid. That is Holy Cross. Their third playoff appearance is their first one since 2009. It's been 11 years for the Crusaders. They've started up their rivalry again with Boston College. That was a great start to the year, and now they're back into the playoffs. Things are going in the right direction for Holy Cross. Doing a great job in building that program up there. Bob, I was about to say Bob Cousy. He went to, uh, (laughs) is it Pettit or Cousy that went to Holy Cross? Uh, Because they have this big statue outside of the athletic center. I want to say it's uh, Pettit that went to Holy Cross, Uh, but Bob Chesney. But, yes, it's, it's, um, you know, one of those sleeping giants in the Northeast. Um, And I'm glad to see them doing a great job. And it was a down year for the Patriot League, and we'll talk about some teams that are going to be on the rise come next season. Let's move into the Pioneer League. You could argue a second team maybe deserved to get in out of the Pioneer this year. There were some great teams. Davidson was outstanding. Dayton made a nice comeback there. They're moving back toward the top. Stetson was excellent again. Last year wasn't a fluke. Uh, Decent year from Drake as well. But there's only one team that was going to get it out of the Pioneer, and that was the Toreros of San Diego, their fifth appearance. Uh, they've turned into the dominant force in this conference. They're also the team that you don't want to play when you get into the first round of the postseason. They started out 0-2 and won nine straight games. We were questioning them at the beginning yeah. of the season. We were like, ooh, maybe this, you're America's team, the America's Davidson Wildcats. Davidson Wildcats. <laughs> maybe this is the year. No, no, it wasn't. San Diego, since they got in the conference play, it was over. Yeah, it was over. And it, it, again, best offense in the conference, arguably, because you got Dayton's offense that's flying, pun intended. 
You have the Wildcats of Davidson that's all <laughs> offense. Their defense showed up this year. And Drake knocked off D- Davidson this past weekend. So this was a highly competitive year in the Pioneer League. And we know next year they get Presbyterian. Talk about a competitive league. And that was the SOCON, to be sure. This was another one where I think the war of attrition probably cost them a third spot. Uh, two teams make it in. Wofford makes their 10th appearance as the automatic bid. Furman missed last year. They get back in their 18th appearance. Um, you could argue if Citadel plays better down the stretch, they're in the playoff. If they beat Chattanooga, they're probably in. If they had beaten Wofford last week, right. they probably would have been in. Didn't happen for the Citadel. VMI had a much better year this year, even though they finished 5-7. and seven. Chattanooga actually finished 6-6. Six and six. Uh, so they technically finished third with a 5-3 and three conference record, but only two games get, teams get in from the SOCON. As good as that conference is from top to bottom, I think that's the right call. Yeah, I think it's the right call. And, and to me, I compare the SOCON to the Big South. I think they're competitive top to bottom. And yeah. people – it's funny because people used to knock the SOCON as not being a strong conference, but they are in the same boat as the Big South. They I was are, about to say, the Big South is the SOCON 15 years ago. Exactly. So they're a strong conference. And – yeah, you could have made a case for three teams had uh, the Citadel knocked off Chattanooga or Wofford in the last two weeks. They didn't even have to knock off Chattanooga. They had to hold on against Chattanooga. That's right. all they had to do. Uh, but that's more for another time. We move now. Well, if you've done the math, that leaves the Southland Conference. Three teams get in from the Southland. Nichols makes their sixth appearance as the automatic bid. Central Arkansas, of course, is seeded their fifth appearance. They're, they missed last year's playoffs, though. Uh, so they get in. And Southeast Louisiana gets their third ever playoff bid, their first since 2014. And what they have going for them is the better defense out of the three. Yeah. So their defense is real good. No Sam Houston State, no McNeese, two Blue Bloods that we are normally talking about in the playoffs, missed the playoffs despite, you know, seven uh, and five records. But, you know, well-deserving are Nichols, Central Arkansas, and Southeast Louisiana. Even the two upstarts from last year, Incarnate Word, and Lamar had a step back. Abilene Christian was competitive. Um, so this was a really balanced league. Yeah. But the cream rose to the top, and it was those three that found themselves in the postseason. And, of course, the last team in the field. We leave the independent for last. North Dakota makes it in. This is just their second playoff appearance. They made it in 2016 when they were a member of the Big Sky Conference. 7-4 uh, and four record, three top 25 wins. Maybe not the best defensive team making it into the postseason, but offensively, this team is potent. Yeah, they're very potent, man, and uh, they can run the heck out of the ball. Ketteringham is doing a great job throwing the football, so they're going into the playoffs with a lot of balance. So that's your field of 24, folks. That's it from top to bottom. But let's talk about what the committee had to say in terms of snubs. Again, you really don't have too many arguments with this field. You really can't say too much about it. But this, for what it's worth, was the last four teams in and the first four out. Last four in were Furman, Illinois State, Kennesaw, and North Dakota. Just beating out UNH, the Wildcats from New Hampshire, South Carolina State from the MEAC, Southern Illinois, and Towson. Who was the biggest snub, in your opinion, that didn't make this field? Southern Illinois. Um, I thought they played well, and they played competitive in that North Dakota State game. That would be the only team that I would say is a They played snub. strong against them. Like I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. If they had pulled off an upset there, which, talk about the seedings shakeup, that would have been incredible, but they would have been definitely in. But you know, the thing with Southern Illinois, if you look at it, the teams that they beat were the teams that they should have beaten. Right. 
You know, they obviously they knocked off an FBS school, but it's UMass. Okay, cool. You probably but still. Won I mean, that that's anyway. an that's an FCS school. They beat Youngstown when they were ranked, but we saw what happened with Youngstown this year. They finished at 500. Every other game that they won really wasn't an impressive victory in terms of the resume. So I can see why that's there. The team I think should have gotten in is South Carolina State. This is a that's team fair. that finished eight and three this year, six and two in conference play. If they had if they had beaten one of Florida A and M or A and T, probably Florida A and M, they lost to A and M by four. They lost to A and T by two. Well, the big elephant in the room is the fact that they played Lane. That also didn't help. If that was any FCS team, any make that Marist. It could have been Marist. It could have been Merrimack. It could have been Long Island. It could have been anybody. But it was a Division two game. That's what kept them out. So they had to win either. A&T or FAMU against A&T or FAMU because it because of that lane game. But if that was any FCS opponent, mm-hmm. and this should go to notice for the SWAC and MEAC, if they schedule better out of conference and avoid these D2 games and win those out of conference FCS games, their D1 games you just rack up, you're going to get in the playoffs. Yeah, You're going to get ranked. You're going to be where you want to be in the postseason, having a team in the – your champion in the bowl game and your second best team – in the playoffs, exactly. You can have your cake and eat it too. Exactly. Now we talk your, about uh, since we're or your uh, uh, if you're in Louisiana, you can have your boudin and eat it too. Or if you're in South Carolina, since we're talking about South Carolina State, what's the big dish down there? You got a crawfish boil. Stop, man! <laughs> How you you can't bring up crawfish to someone from Louisiana. You cannot bring up crawfish and talk about you mean South a, Carolina. It, it, you mean a low country boil isn't good? Okay, I'll give you that, but don't <laughs> don't say crawfish. Like <laughs> now, we mentioned you mentioned snubs. Obviously, there were teams that missed this year, but we talked about the parity in this league. There was a lot of good teams that year this year that won't make the playoffs. And again, if we had bowl games in the FCS, that would make a lings a little bit easier to take. Just a thought. Um, which teams do you think that missed this year will actually make the postseason this time next time around? Listen, man, I got a list of teams, but you know you know which one team I think will get to the playoffs if we're predicting 2020 quietly? Mm. They played well. VMI. Quietly. Quarterback is coming back. Ramsey, the running back, is coming back. Confidence was laid this year. I mean, Udinsky went, what, six, seven weeks without an interception? Without an interception. VMI has an offense. And they're going to get better. They're trekking in the right direction. So VMI would be one team okay. that I think could, you know, be a surprise playoff squad. Any one of these three can be a surprise playoff squad because because of, of what I've seen of them this year being on the broadcast and seeing the youth that they have coming back. They don't lose a lot. South Carolina State, FAMU, and or North Carolina A&T. One of those teams will get into the playoffs. It, it probably should have happened this year if right, it wasn't for some stupid upsets. Or, or if FAMU wasn't ineligible. Yeah, you exactly. Know, so A&T would have been in. Yeah. So um, one of those teams. I also think Colgate will be back on the rise. Yep. William and Mary. Um, and also America's team, Davidson. <laughs> you think they actually they get over the hump next year? They knock off, uh, knock off somebody? Duggar is coming back. He's he's another stud too, folks. If you haven't seen this kid on film, he's another one to keep an eye out for. And, and I think uh, McNeese is another team that I think is trekking in the right direction. In terms of teams that are trekking in the right direction, um, William and Mary, 
much better this year with a new uh, go-go offense. With, which you can still order, by the way. Footballgameplan.com slash go-go offense. There you go. But 5-7 and seven this year, much better offensively. Um, I think Richmond did decently well. I think they've got some good young leaders as well on this team. I was there for the Richmond-JMU game, which ended in a blowout. But Richmond, I think, is a whole lot better than what their record was. I think they could uh, move back into this conversation. Um, I, I, I'm going to throw it out there. Robert Morris. <laughs> I have them Morris. written down. I have Robert Morris <laughs> written down, too. And I also have Southern Illinois. I have Elon written down as well. Um, Elon, I thought, had a couple of injuries that set them back. Uh, I think Elon would be right back in the mix. And how about a team from the SWAC getting into the playoffs? Now, remember, it has to be a team that, that won't qualify for the SWAC title game. And has to come out of the East because Grambling and Southern played late, which means the West isn't going to be matching up. Bingo. And you know Alabama. I'm A&M. Mm-hmm. Quarterback. Akil Glass is a phenomenal quarterback. I think he's going to be the next uh, SWAC quarterback to go to the NFL. Okay. So they have the quarterback. Now, obviously, this is a little bit projecting 2020 because you you're banking on – Everybody's staying. And and uh, you're ba- you're banking on Alcorn still being good, which right. is po- is definitely possible. Right. You also expected them to lose to Alcorn and let that be their only loss, while beating everybody else. Yep. And everything else playing playing out, and then you know they they have a lot has to happen. Like five things have to happen for Alabama and them to get in. Before we talk about the first round of the playoffs and a, a, a very special Bayou Classic, I want to throw you a couple of potential bowl games here because we do this this is our recurring segment every year folks there are so many teams that are above 500 fbs teams get to go to the bowl game if they're six and five or seven and five why can't the fcs well, i want to th- i want to throw a couple of these to you these are all geographic as much as it possibly could have been done none of these teams played each other in the regular season this year and none of them are from the same conference how about this one for our first one we talked about robert morris hosting princeton Give me the sell me on the intrigue of that one. You have a Princeton team that, despite a couple losses, still finished with an eight-win record. You have a Robert Morse team moving up to a seven-win record all of a sudden. Everybody, all the talk has been about Princeton, oh, they're overrated. And then Robert Morse, oh, they're just an upstart. It's a fluke. Let's figure it out. Let's find out which one. Here's one for you. South Carolina State at the Citadel. You want to talk about an intriguing ball game. That could be one right yeah, there. Yes, low country, as you call it, right? Low country. South. I mean, the Citadel, they got an FBS win against Georgia Tech. South Carolina State. Did something that... that Eight-win team. They did something that the Citadel couldn't do. They beat Wofford. <laughs> and let the let you know, the Twitter comments come down. I'm just <laughs> saying, that's, that's a fact. You can't argue facts. I would throw out a bowl game. I would like to see Southern Illinois and UT Martin play. That would be an interesting be ball good, game. That would be a good ball game. I would also throw out, uh, since we're doing Ivy League, I'll go Yale and, hmm, I think Yale and Towson would be a good one. Yale-Towson would be a very, that could be be a very a, good game. That could be a quarterback duel right there. I got one other one for you, too. How about Dayton versus Youngstown? Because the Dayton Flyers are just the Ohio connection. Ohio connection, good rivalry game. And since we want to talk about America's team, Davidson, Davidson versus Campbell. Oh, no, I'll give you one. I'll give you one for Davidson. How about Davidson versus Georgetown? Rematch. Give Georgetown one more chance to get that six win, that nine-losing season. And here's here's another one before we move into it. Quietly, you know who's had a good season? Merrimack. Finished above 500. let Let's give them a game against UNH and see what happens. 
Why would you? Hold on. Northern Massachusetts, North Shore, taking on New Hampshire. That's Bro, all I'm saying. They had a winning season. Correct. That's a fact. <laughs> I'm Virginia just Lynchburg. <laughs> May, just... Mayfield State or whoever, May, uh, you know, they beat somebody 76 nothing. I told you it was proximity and they hadn't played each other in regular season and they weren't in the same conference. May, that fits every Mayfield State. <laughs> And Franklin Pierce. Where's Franklin Pierce? Exactly. <laughs> well, you want to know an interesting stat about Merrimack, too? They lost to Central Connecticut State by three. And he lost to Lehigh by touchdown. And Cent- by Bryant by seven. Central Connecticut State, 11-1. Central Connecticut State by three. So, let, all right, let's play that game. Let's say they, they win those three games against Bryant, Lehigh, and Central Connecticut State. No, they're not getting in. All right. <laughs> no, they're not getting in. Right. Not with not with three teams that are below Division One. And and one more game. Okay. LIU versus Texas Southern. They're the only two teams to go winless. Oh. We can't have a season where we have more than one winless team. Yep. So here's an opportunity for these guys to get a win. And and who's the sponsor of that game? Uh, Fruit Loops, <laughs> Cheerios, anything with an O on it, like. <laughs> Ohio State sponsors the game. Just exactly, to, just to O. Here, here you go. Uh, let's get into the week to come, folks. And we've got um, all the first-round matchups. But before we do that, we're going to start with the Bayou Classic. And again, if you want predictions on these games, if you want to go in-depth, we're going to mention them quickly here. Check out the FCS kickoff. That is where we're going to go in-depth. We're going to predict all of these games, all the first-round matchups. But we're going to mention them all quickly here because we want to make sure this is in-depth and enough for you and that you can go and check out the videos afterwards. Grambling Southern, though. Huge game in the Bayou Classic. It's always a massive affair. It's always a party. But this one will decide who goes to the SWAC title game this year to take on Alcorn. Yeah, last year it was Southern uh, to take on Alcorn. Um, Grambling, this is a game that will always come down to something of significance. It could mean something. Right. Um, So it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a wild, entertaining game. You can't just, like look at the first half and be like, all right, so-and-so is up by 20. I can go watch another game. No, stay for the full game because it will come down to the last possession. These two teams play each other like the Chargers and Texans play each other. <laughs> this, this game will be wild. It will be chaos. It will come down to the last possession. It won't make sense. It'll be like a, a game that will end 41 to 41 and a half. Exactly. It's going to be insane. Now let's get into the first round of the playoffs, and we will mention here, who, this te- who these teams will be playing if they win this first-round match. We start with the independent North Dakota Fighting Hawks. They will take on Nichols. Winner, though, gets a trip to the Fargo Dome to take on North Dakota State. Interesting ballgame here, though, because North Dakota has to travel a long way to home, long way from home to potentially have a quick game turnaround. Yeah, good thing uh, you talk about travel. They got to travel to Thibodeau, Louisiana. So, um, And they're traveling to Thibodeau, Louisiana in a good time. They're lucky this game is not in September. <laughs> yeah. um, it will melt the green off those helmets out there in North Dakota. So should be a big game, man. I'm glad Nichols is hosting. Uh, I think they do a great job down there. That, that local fan base really supports those Colonels. Let's move on to the next matchup here. Illinois State taking on SEMO. The winner of this game will get Central Arkansas, the number eight seed, in the second round. I've seen Illinois State play live. They didn't exactly knock my socks off watching them play this game. SEMO has been solid all year long. This could be a trouble game for the team from the Valley. This is going to be a very interesting game because the next week, if whoever wins goes to Central Arkansas, 
Um, and that's going to be another game. So these three teams, whoever, whatever the combination, is going to be an interesting game because I think all three have you know some elements to, to win a lot. Uh, even though you say Illinois State didn't look good when you saw them, um, the fact that they can run the ball and play good defense, I think that gives them a shot. This is going to be a very good game. Their defense will definitely keep them in games. We move on to the next one. Central Connecticut State at Albany. The winner of this game will get Montana State in Bozeman in the second round. Albany, eight-win season, true freshman quarterback that likes to throw the ball over the all over the yard, has all the throws, does undercuffler. Central Connecticut State comes in with a dual-threat quarterback in Winchester. This is going to be a very much a fight of styles. And this is a statement game for, for Central Connecticut State. Yeah. I feel like, you know, guys like yourself are underrating what they bring to the table. I ranked them 15, and it's still not good enough. Unbelievable. First, you, you ranked them 21st. You just scratched out on your uh, ballot and put like put them 15. It's um, right there. I wrote I can't it down. Read your, I can't read your handwriting. <laughs> yeah. So, Albany, you saw them live. Very good football team. This is a, I think this is the best matchup of round one. Central Connecticut State, though, might have the better defense of the two. Just Offensive saying. line, too. Furman taking on Austin P. The Governors get the automatic bid out of the OVC, and they get a host a first-round game. The winner of this one will take on Sacramento State. So we have a potential in the second round of having the two debutantes against each other. But first, Austin P. will have to deal with a Furman team that's not exactly coming in on the best uh, best run of form. But if you love the run game, you're going to love this matchup because both teams can really run the football. Speaking of run game, if you want to see a game that will last about an hour and 15 minutes, check out this next one. Wofford hosting Kennesaw State. Both teams run the option. The winner will go to Weber. They will fly out to Utah after this game. Wofford, we questioned them throughout the year, but they've held on strong. They win the SoCon bid. Kennesaw solid all the way through you can debate their strength of schedule but they dominated that schedule for the most part only that lost to Monmouth is really the one that stings this could be a really interesting ball game and they could have beaten Kent State a FBS yeah. team they had that game overtime pretty, yep so there you go so this is not a bad team you're right this is I wish I was on a call for this game because this <laughs> you could have this game will start at four and at five so you could still have <laughs> evening dinner plans with your significant other after this ball game but should be a great one to watch because option teams, when they play each other, there's always some other, some unique wrinkles. They know how to stop the option better than anyone, so mm-hmm. it should be a great defensive game, in my opinion. And Kennesaw has been interesting because the last couple of games they've had to go to a different quarterback as well. They've gone to Bryant at quarterback instead of David, and it's turned things a little bit different. They looked almost a little bit better with him at QB. Next one up here, talk about a rough travel week. Villanova travels to Hammond, Louisiana to take on Southeast Louisiana, the Lions. Uh, They will face the number six seed, the winner of this game. They will fly to Montana. So it's going to be rough travel for whoever wins this ballgame. A little surprised that Villanova's on the road in this first round, especially against Southeast Louisiana. This could be an interesting ballgame, though. They got nine wins and they got to travel. But, again, just like I said for North Dakota, Good thing this game isn't in September. Yes, uh, because that weather down there in Hammond, uh, in uh, you know, in those tall pine trees, that you know, north of the lake is going to be is humid. Uh, so, defensive battle, I think, because yes. both defenses are really good. Someone had to bite the bullet and face San Diego in the first round, and this year <laughs> it's Northern Iowa. Granted, Northern Iowa will be in their dome, but then again. 
So was Northern Arizona two years ago. It didn't really matter. The winner of this game will take on South Dakota State. So we could have a Missouri Valley showdown in the second round. Or if we, based on form, South Dakota State will have to take on another team with the initials SD. They didn't do well in the last week of the regular season against South Dakota. Maybe they'll have a better luck with San Diego if they get through this first round. I'm interested to see how San Diego comes out in this ballgame. Confidence will be at all-time high. So it'll be up to you and I to be able to weather the first quarter flurry that they're going to see from the Toreros. And underrated for the Toreros, there's a lot of talk about their passing game, and rightfully so. Sinet is fantastic. Bandy's probably going to be an NFL player. Their running back over the last couple of weeks, JoJo Binda Jr., has had a couple of really nice games down the stretch. 227 against Stetson, 121 against Moorhead, and 147 against Jacksonville State in his last three games. Against Jacksonville State? Or Jacksonville, excuse I was about me. to say, because... Jacksonville. That, so that is perfect because this will be a uh, step up in weight class for them to run the football. So we'll see. Going to be very interesting. And the last matchup here at Kessler Stadium, Monmouth hosting Holy Cross. Two automatic bids facing off against each other. The winner of this game will get a trip down to Harrisonburg to face JMU. And you made a very, very bold claim before we went on the air here for this podcast. If you don't want to say it now and you want to save it for if it's appropriate later on, I will let you do that. But in this contest here, this could be an interesting one for Mammoth trying to deal with Holy Cross. Holy Cross has great defense. Mammoth has great offense. Styles make fights. And both teams want to show that they belong. Both teams want to show that they have, uh, you know, a rightful claim to be in the playoffs. Yep. They both won their conference, so they definitely should be here. And I think all of these games would be very interesting to watch. Uh, but this one should be a good one because of the styles in the teams. And uh to see what Monmouth defense shows up and for Holy Cross, which offense shows up. So, And if Holy Cross wins, that means just more purple in the FCS. A player. lot of purple. You ever notice that that's a, that's a theme across pretty much all of college football? If you wear purple, you're going to have success. Yeah. It, TCU, you, solid every year. Northwestern, quietly. Solid. Northwestern, Holy Cross, JMU, Weber, you go down to D3, Wisconsin, Whitewater, Mount Union. There you go. Stout. Mary Harden-Baylor. Ah, right. Mary Harden-Baylor. I, I, I'm running out of teams that wear purple in but, the FBS. But all, but all of a sudden, <laughs> at least beyond FBS, everyone who wears purple is successful. So yeah, you can't go wrong. That's like wearing <laughs> purple is like 1938 or 1940. If you look at everybody's football history in college football, everybody was always good in 1938 and 1940. <laughs> Like, for whatever reason, you like, if you look up Furman, 1930, I guarantee there was, like, 9-1, you know, uh, Sunflower Bowl champs, some dumb stuff like that. Everybody was good, 1938 and 1940, for whatever reason. And you know another team that's wearing purple that's coming to the FCS? Who? Tarleton. They're good in D2. Not for much longer. They're gonna, you go. Although they did get knocked out in the first round of the D2 playoffs. They was looking ahead to, to they, D1. They're looking forward to the grand yeah, jet. Yeah, they're looking at uh, D1. They're, they're, they're getting ready to get that Texas oil money ready yeah, to go to FCS. Right. Folks, that's it for the playoff preview here on the Opening Drive Podcast. Again, if that wasn't enough for you, if you want to hear more in-depth, if you want to have us on the record making predictions that you can throw in our faces later when you send it to Craig Haley on Twitter about how we were wrong about everything, you're going to have to watch the FCS kickoff show coming up later this week. We will break down all of the games on there with predictions of how we think they're going to go and preview all of the potential second round action as well. Uh, so we'll get through that 
on there. Again, if you want to listen to any of our podcasts here, subscribe to the Football Game Plan Podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Let us know what you want to hear. If there's something you haven't heard enough of, let us know. If you're tired of hearing Emery brag on me about putting Central Connecticut State at 15, uh, you can put that in there, too. We can we can, we take they all the comments. They're going to have your picture uh, hanging up on the on the. As a dartboard? Uh, not even a dartboard. You know how, well, they're not playing at home, so you know how Notre Dame has to play like a champ today? Yeah. They don't have that because uh, they'll be playing at Albany, but they'll have you, they'll run through your face at the, you know how high school they run through the, they'll run, they'll run through your face before they leave the, before they get onto the field. Uh, I, I mean. CCSU's biggest hater. All, all has hater. N- Trust me, there are worse haters around the FCS than me, and you know who they are. But I will say that I'm hopeful that I will be up at that game covering that one. So I want to see if Central Connecticut State can shut me up in person. We'll see what happens. It uh, could be a very interesting post-game press conference, too, if, if, right. happens, if they happen to know exactly who they are, and they should be. Folks, that'll do it for the playoff preview. Again, check out the FCS kickoff for all the in-depth predictions and insight into all these first-round games. Congratulations to the field of 24. Commiserations to the rest of the FCS. We will see you in 2020. For now, we'll see you next week here on the FCS Opening Drive Podcast.